Welcome to Chamberlain University's MSN CourseCast. Each episode in our series will introduce and discuss key concepts from the modules in one of your courses. These episodes are intended to enhance your learning when you're on the go, so feel free to listen to them anytime and anywhere. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our podcast today for NR 517. This is podcast number two, and we are going to talk variables influencing healthcare policy and economics. Today, I am happy to have with me as our guest, Dr. Joanna Shedd, who is an assistant dean in the Accelerated Track Program. Dr. Shedd, I would love for you to come off and introduce yourself and tell the group about you before we start our discussion. Oh, I'd be happy to, Dr. Simpson. Thank you. So I have been a nurse for about 20 years. Most of my practice has been in the emergency department, and I was very fortunate to be a part of a group of emergency room nurses that actually did lobby and uh, make some changes for the emergency department at one point in my career. And I have also worked in the correctional arena and in the NICU. I have been teaching since 2006, started as a clinical instructor, worked my way through the degrees all the way up to receiving my terminal degree from Capella University. And I have been teaching here at Chamberlain for about a year. We are so happy to have you with us, Dr. Shedd. So I just wanted to kind of give an overview of the topics for this podcast today. From reviewing the first podcast, we talked about the relationship between policy and economics. So in this podcast, I thought we could dive a little bit deeper to explore different variables that influence healthcare policy and economics. And there are many factors that inform policy and shape our economic situation across the communities and in the healthcare delivery sector. But I thought we would talk about a few in particular, Dr. Shedd. So, and, and you can address this, I can ask you each, and I'm just kind of going to go through the law of supply and demand and the influences of healthcare economics. So when we talk about that, we, we look at who are the consumers, what are the needs of the healthcare consumer? How are the healthcare needs being met? And what are the funding streams to support healthcare delivery? Can you talk a little to each of those, Dr. Shedd? Sure, Dr. Simpson, I'd be happy to. So when we talk about supply and demand, of course, we know that when there's a demand, they do try to increase supply to meet that demand. Some of the demands carry more weight than others, but also this can be leveraged For example, the EpiPen many years ago, when there was a decreased supply of the EpiPen, there was a manufacturer that hiked up the prices astronomically because the consumer, who is the patient, didn't really have a choice but to buy it. And at the end of the day, the consumer is invariably always the patient. So the needs of healthcare consumer, well, high quality healthcare is always the need and the outcome that we're all shooting for. And healthcare needs being met, well, we have accreditors that come in and make very sure that healthcare needs are being met. At the end of the day, the bottom dollar is what drives a lot of our healthcare arenas because they want to get paid. And if they don't have certain outcomes that are met and the accreditors say they're met, they won't get paid. But what we hope for as nurses is that our end goal is always just great patient outcomes. The funding streams to support healthcare delivery, all those are Medicare, 
taxes, private insurance, and of course, self-pay. Did that answer your question, Dr. Simpson? It did, Dr. Shedd. When you talk about in your experience, can you share an experience where you could address each of those points where you've done that with working with a policy? I sure can. So when I was working in the emergency department as a nurse educator, we noted that we were not able to keep up with the demand out in triage. We're a level one trauma center. So this was actually extremely dangerous as people were lined up waiting to even see the nurse for the first time. So I was actually the one that led the change and we created what we call secondary triage, where we had a second RN in the triage area that could walk through the line and pull people out of the line that looked very, very sick or in trouble, or just to move the line through quicker where the primary triage nurse would be getting vitals, the secondary triage nurse would just be looking at the patient. And we did notice that our outcomes increased significantly. Thank you so much for that. Uh, oh. That's a great example to provide. So healthcare policies, when we're talking about the influence and what they're, what they're influenced by, what are some of those influences? And can you kind of elaborate on what those mean and maybe share some examples, Dr. Shedd? Well, I would say the major influence is, again, the well-being of the patient. So, and along with that would be, you want to have positive patient experiences as well. So a couple of things that we looked at most recently and using Press-Ganey scores to ask the patients what their experience is, because it is determined now that the better the experience for the client, the better their outcomes once again. So some of the small scale policies would include, you know, private rooms where infectious rates aren't so high, being much more mindful about hand washing and transitions between patients. Uh, so those kind of things can make a huge difference and an impact and also bringing in stroke teams and sepsis teams. Those kind of things can be both small scale and large scale that not only in the end save money because your patient outcomes are better, the patients are not in the hospital as long, and in fact, turnarounds of patients coming back decreases. So those are small and large-scale policy and economic changes that we can make in the hospital setting. Did that answer your question, Dr. Simpson? Yes, it did. Uh, when we talk about the influences, what, are, what about ethical and legal implications? What do you kind of have to think about when we're talking about that, also maybe evidence-based support for those policy interventions. Absolutely. So ethically and legally, we must absolutely, nothing else should be more important, not the bottom line, nothing, than patient care, but not just patient care, but patient care that's vetted in the evidence, current, reliable evidence. So not all evidence is the same. We, we don't want to just take any article and say that's, that is it, that's the information. We wanna make sure that as, as professionals, we know how to read the evidence, take the evidence, apply the evidence, but at the end of the day, everything should be vetted in current evidence. Did that answer that question, Dr. Simpson? It did. What about ethical considerations? What are some really big issues, like maybe even some sharing of experiences that you came across when facing those ethical challenges? 
did you run into any when you shared with the ER that really came to light? Yeah, absolutely. I was also a house supervisor. And some of the ethical dilemmas that I faced regularly was, you know, looking at transfer patients and who we accepted sometimes. But the biggest ethical dilemma that I think we faced on a daily basis in the emergency department was the care of mental health patients. They have nowhere to go. So they're bunked in an emergency department, which is a terrible place for a patient struggling a mental health breakdown or for whatever reason they're there, suicidal, just not being watched properly because they're in the wrong environment, not getting the right care that they need because they're just sitting in an ED for three and four days. This was actually the event that I was able to be a part of. We went as a group of emergency room nurses and we actually lobbied for changes for emergency room patients and at this time, mental health patients. And the first time it didn't make it to become a bill, but the same team went back a few years later, just recently, and they actually did make some changes. Did that Thank answer that question? You. Yes, it does, it does. The other thing I wanted to kind of talk about, you did kind of already mention, but really again, with some real life examples, what are some factors influencing small policy and economic, such as a hospital unit versus a larger scale or national initiative or something like that? Can you share some examples? So an example of a small policy, uh, I would say a, a smaller policy would have been possibly what we did in the primary triage area. I would say that was a smaller policy designated just to that area, but it had a huge impact on the department. Did that answer that? Yes, and how about a larger scale health, health initiative? Would do any good examples or any uh, suggestions for our students as far as looking at those national initiatives? Absolutely. So a couple of big ones that jump right to mind is of course, the Affordable Care Act, the COVID vaccination teams, and most recently, many of our large hospitals are using the team steps approach and the preceptorship of new grad nurses, where nationally as nurses from the American Nurses Association, that we are treating new grads with kindness and respect and precepting with kindness so they stay. And this has been initiative because we are losing 30% of our new grads. Yes, that is very, very true. And, you know, finding ways to support that with regulation of policy that promotes and supports our profession. Is there any recommendations you have for the students as far as initiating of a policy, who they may include in, in this, if thinking about policy or uh, and the, econ you know, even for an economical change? Uh, is there any suggestions you have, Dr. Shedd? I certainly do, Dr. Simpson. I think the most important thing for our nursing profession is to speak up. And I love the I love the stepping up and speaking up motto because we do need to speak up. And I don't think anybody realizes the impact and the power of our stories. The most important and powerful way to lobby and to, to get a bill passed is to tell those stories that impact. They even call it sometimes giving that elevator speech. If you were in an elevator with a high-ranking official in government, what would you do for two minutes to get that person to listen to you? And usually the most important thing you can do is tell an impactful story about what it is like to be a frontline 
healthcare worker and what you experience taking care of patients. Dr. Shedd, thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast for NR517 for policy and health economics. We really appreciate your time and for joining us to discuss these issues and these uh, great points that you presented today. And thank you, students, for taking the opportunity to listen to this podcast and reach out anytime with questions. Thank you so much, Dr. Shedd. It was my pleasure, Dr. Simpson, and good luck to you, students. Now that you've explored some important concepts related to your modules, if you have not done so already, please turn your attention to the course materials in your online course for additional application and practice of these concepts.